Welcome to the Temple Baptist Church Podcast, coming to you from Swan River, Manitoba, Canada. This week, we join Pastor Neil Effa as he preaches the final part of his series, Sent, Living a Life on Mission, in this message from February 24th. And in like manner, we sent by Jesus announce and enact the rule and reign of God through the proclamation of the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit. As Michael Frost would say, this is our mission if we choose to accept it. This mission is rooted in the very nature of God. God is a missionary God. His intended purpose is to glorify himself through the work of redeeming people and restoring creation. His mission finds its pinnacle in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus, God defeats sin, death, and hell, making it possible for humanity to be brought back into fellowship with him. This missional call of Christ is often missed by churches that have become focused only on internal matters. But we must realize that church was never meant to be just a place where people gather for religious services and ceremonies. The church does not simply dispense religious goods and services. Nor is a church designed to be a club where members try to protect the status quo. Church is not about our needs and our preferences, our likes and dislikes, and clamoring to get our own way. Church is not about opening the doors and expecting those who don't know Jesus to come to us. The church is not an end in itself. Rather, the church is God's instrument to carry out his mission in the world. God's mission must shape and influence everything we do. Every decision that we make, every program we adopt, every event we plan, everything must pass through the filter of God's mission. So in light of that, we must understand that we are sent people. And I think it's helpful to see ourselves as missionaries because a missionary is simply one who is sent out with the gospel. We must assume the identity, the posture of a missionary, understanding that we are sent into our neighborhoods, into our communities, and into the world with the good news of Jesus. Let me remind you once again what is on our North American Baptist Conference website. We describe ourselves in this way. We are a family of missionaries. We believe every follower of Jesus is a missionary. We serve in churches and communities in Canada, the USA, and on mission fields scattered around the world. Our mandate is to equip missionaries for service at home and internationally. It is my prayer that these realities take root in the depths of our hearts and that they stir within us and that we give ourselves to this mission. As we wrap this series up this morning, there's one, however, one other implication that I wish to share concerning our sentness. That we are sent by Jesus to live our life on mission. And it's simply this, we are sent on mission as a community of believers. So often we emphasize the individual aspect of God's mission. Yes, every follower of Jesus is called to embrace this mission. Every Christ follower is sent into the neighborhoods, into their communities, into the world with the gospel. But let's not undermine the importance of our corporate and our collective call to mission. Our churches should be attractive. They should be foretastes of Christ's kingdom that one day will be finally and completely established on this earth. For much of January and February, these months have been cold months. It was not uncommon to have nighttime lows 
dropped down to minus 35 degrees Celsius. Add the wind chill and the temperature often hovered around minus 45 degrees Celsius. And during these past months, the sun rose late and, the, and set early, leaving the landscape shrouded in darkness. In many ways, this is a description of the world in which we live. It too is cold and dark. It has been marred by sin resulting in brokenness and pain and suffering and an injustice. However, on those cold, dark January and February nights, if you were to walk and peer into the windows of the homes you pass by, you would find some to be very inviting. Those with a soft glow of light radiating through the window, they have an inviting feel to them. They convey a sense of warmth and welcome. And this leads me to ponder about our cold, dark world. What do passers-by see when they look into our church fellowship? What do they make of our church? Those living in our cold, dark world ought to see a community of joy, of love, friendship, a place of light and warmth and welcome as they peer into the window, as they observe our church life and interactions, our service, our fellowship, our worship. This is what the church must be in our broken and pain-filled world. A community of light at street level. Here's a place where God's kingdom can be glimpsed. Here's where people are reconciled as they are brought together in Christ. Biblical community. Biblical community is essential if we're going to follow Jesus in mission. And that adjective biblical differentiates this form of community from what most people think of when they hear the word. In the English language, we tend to use the word to refer to people with common interests or shared belief systems. But in the New Testament, the Greek word for community is koinonia, which is often translated fellowship or partnership. And perhaps the most well-known example of biblical community in scripture is found in Acts chapter 2. And here we read, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Notice this passage states that the people devoted themselves to the fellowship. It also says that they had all things in common and they took care of any need that someone might have. Each of these phrases communicates to the unique community that was being formed, to the unique community that was developing amongst these early followers. It was a community of people who were truly devoted to one another. And this is a great picture of what it looks like to live in genuine biblical community. This kind of community is not only a good thing, it is an absolute necessity because God has created us in and for community. You see, the moment that we first accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the moment we first responded to him in faith, we were transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We became members of his household, a part, 
part of the body of Christ, the church. We have been placed in fellowship with one another to carry out God's mission. In the animated movie Ice Age, when saber-toothed tigers attack a tribe of nomads, a mother and her baby attempt to outrun the man-eating beasts, but they are cornered at a raging waterfall. The little boy is discovered by a woolly mammoth named Manfred, a sloth named Sid, and a saber-toothed tiger named Diego. These three unlikely companions unite on a common mission to return the baby to his father. As a trio treks through a mountainous terrain of ice and snow carrying the baby, at one point the mammoth, the sloth, and tiger realize that they are on an erupting volcano. The heat of the lava melts the glacier bridges atop the ice fields, separating Diego from the others. Isolated on a quickly melting island of ice, Diego jumps to reach the others, but he falls short. Dangling from the edge of the ice field, his grip falters and he falls. Manfred, unwilling to let Diego perish, leaps into a chasm after him, tosses a tiger upwards to safety. Diego realizes the danger involved in the rescue. He's moved by Manfred's compassion, courage, and sacrifice. Why did you do that? He asks. You could have died trying to save me. Humbly, the mammoth responds. That's what you do when you're part of a herd. You look after each other. Amazed at the convergences of circumstances that has brought these three together, Sid muses aloud. I don't know about you guys, but we are one strange herd. One strange herd. Don't you feel like that's a great description of the church sometimes? A mix of people with different personalities, different backgrounds, different ideas who might never hang out together, except for this thing that we have in common. We love God and we love one another. It's interesting to ponder the disciples Jesus selected at the beginning of his ministry. We can hardly imagine a more diverse crowd. Differences of temperament, economic standing, politics, background, culture, all of these things threatened these first 12 with irreconcilable conflict. Peter's type A personality would have driven wedges into any group. Thomas was the consummate skeptic. Matthew was a tax collector. He had sold himself out for his own financial gain in the service of the oppressive Roman Empire. Simon the Zealot was a member of the resistance force plotting against the oppressive Roman government. Nathaniel, on the other hand, was squeaky clean. And yet they hung wonderfully together. So solid was their commitment that after Christ left the earth, they continued to be galvanized to both their master and his cause in spite of all that would divide them. In a similar way, we have been transformed by God's amazing love and mercy. Because of that, we hang out together. But even more than that, as the film illustrates in a childlike way, as a herd of Christ followers, we look after each other even if we might look a little strange at times. When the church is working right, it becomes a place where our old nature and our old instincts begin to die. 
and we start thinking completely different about the people around us. People who we might never have associated with before, or perhaps who we never would have thought we would befriend, they suddenly become our brothers and our sisters. And we find ourselves wanting to bring in more and more of those who might not belong anywhere else. We find a place for them. And our herd, our community becomes a place of love and service, a place where people experience the transforming power of Jesus at work in their lives. The corporate and collective nature of Christianity is illustrated by a recurring but often overlooked word in the teaching of the Apostle Paul. In his letter to the various churches, he often used the Greek word alelon, which means one another or each other. Within the community of those who live in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, Paul says that we are to be members one of another. We're to build each other up. We're to love one another with mutual affection. We're to be able to instruct one another, become slaves to one another, and to live in harmony with one another. The relational aspect of biblical community is where and how Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control are lived out as believers bear one another's burdens. The point is that the Christian faith is not an individual matter. Everything is to be done with and for one another. And when we live together in this way, we give a glimpse of what it is like to live under the rule and reign of God. When we are fused together by love for God and for one another, collectively, we become a testimony to the unbelieving world of God's transforming grace. But there is more to the story of community. While we are undoubtedly called to be devoted to one another in the family of God, as a community, we're created for much more. We are a family, but we are a family on mission. Christ has a wonderful way of lifting us above and beyond our differences and calling us to an agenda so compelling that as followers, we cannot help but get along. It's obvious that those early followers ceased to be consumed with their differences when they became consumed with Christ. Lois Barrett writes, a community of genuine love rooted in the redemptive kingdom of God can never be an in-house enterprise. For such love is infectious and overflowing. We must realize that we live in community with others for the sake of the other, or better yet, for the sake of God's mission. The biblical narrative is a story of God's mission to restore community, both with him and with each other. You see, if we're not careful, community can become insular. Community can become very narrow and selective. It can become a clique. It can become too much about those in the group rather than those who are outside of the group. It in turn becomes more about safety and comfort than about being an agent of God's redemptive mission. If we're not careful, community can become our safety zone where we, don't, where we interact only with those who are like us, our comfort zone, and rather than taking us out, taking us out into the community where we are agents of God's redemptive grace. Returning to the passage from Acts 2, it says that the followers of Jesus had favor with all the people. 
The people who devoted themselves to each other also lived lives of, of such great love and generosity toward the outsider that they gained goodwill or favor with those who were not part of the fellowship. And as a result, the text says that people were being saved and added to the community day by day. Leslie Newbigin spent much of his life ministering in the pagan society of India. When he returned home to Britain after 30 years of service, he realized that the culture of his own country had changed drastically since he left. It was now primarily a non-Christian society. But he realized that the church in Britain had not adapted to their new situation. And so this caused Newbigin to essentially ask himself, how would a missionary approach ministry in this cultural climate? His study and reflection led him to write much about the mission of God and the role the church plays in that mission. But in his writing, he said that a believing community is the only hermeneutic of the gospel. Now, what is a hermeneutic? A hermeneutic is a method of interpretation. So in other words, he was saying people can only fully understand what the gospel truly means when a community of believers actually lives out the message. He also said that the church or biblical community was to be both a foretaste and instrument of the kingdom. We are a foretaste of the kingdom when the manner in which we live gives a watching world a picture of the kingdom that is to come. We are an instrument of the kingdom as we participate in God's mission. As a community, we strive to discover what God is doing in the lives of people around us and then discern how he wants us to participate in his redemptive purposes. We must see the church as an instrument created by God to be sent into the world to participate in what he is already doing in the world. Jeff Vanderstelt pastors in Tacoma, Washington. And in writing about the necessity of the church joining God on mission, he says, a missional community is a family of missionary servants who make disciples who make disciples. He then goes on to define and describe the words family, missionary, servants, and disciples, which he uses in that definition. He says, first of all, a missional community is a group of believers who live and experience life together as a family. They see God as their father because of their faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ and the new regeneration brought about by the work of the Holy Spirit. This means that they have and know of a divine love that leads them to love one another as brothers and sisters. They treat one another as children of God, deeply loved by the Father in everything, sharing their money, time, resources, needs, hurts, successes. They know each other well. But he also says, missional communities are missionaries. God's family is also sent like the Son by the Spirit to proclaim the good news of the kingdom, the gospel, and fulfill the commission of Jesus. A missional community is more than a Bible study or a small group that, that cares for other believers. A missional community is made up of spirit-led, spirit-filled people who radically reorient their lives together for the mission of making disciples of a particular people and place where there is a gospel gap, no consistent gospel witness. This means people's schedule, resources, and decisions are now collectively built around reaching people together. But missional communities are also comprised of servants. Jesus is Lord, and we are his servants. 
A missional community serves those around them as though they are serving Jesus. And in so doing, they give a foretaste of what life will, life will be like under the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. Living as servants to the king who serves others as he serves, as he serves, presents a tangible witness to Jesus' kingdom and the power of the gospel to change lives. A missional community serves in such a way that it demands a gospel explanation. Lives that cannot be explained in any other way than by the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus. And then finally, he says, missional communities must see themselves as disciples. We are all learners of Jesus, our rabbi, who has given us his spirit to teach us all that is true about Jesus and enable us to live out his commands. Jesus commanded us to make disciples who believe the gospel are established in a new identity and are able to obey all of his commands. The missional community is the best context in which this can happen. Disciples are made and developed through life on life, where there is visibility and accessibility in community, where they can practice the one another's and on mission, where they learn how to proclaim the gospel and make disciples. A church that embraces the mission of God understands their identity as family, as missionaries, as servants, as disciples. As you read through the book of Acts, the early church followers of Jesus viewed themselves in this way. The early followers of Jesus had an incredible impact upon their society. And it wasn't because they were persons of power or influence. In the early generations of the church, as it is today, most of the followers of Christ were just common folk. Not the well-connected elite with access to power brokers and shakers and movers. Their power and influence would be wielded in a much more strategic venue. The hearts and minds of a watching world. As persecution mounted against them from political and religious establishments, they were unintimidated and unmoved as followers of Christ. Some died as fodder in the arenas for hungry lions. Others were covered with pitch, set on fire as human torches to light the streets of Rome. The reality of a Christ worth living for and dying for, if necessary, stirred the curiosity of the world. The lifestyle of these followers was dramatically and productively different from the people around them. They loved and cared for one another. They cared for their enemies, even the worst of them. They were selfless, sharing with each other and those in need. Politically and economically disenfranchised, they had hope and trust in a transcendent reality that left them strong in the face of poverty and persecution. When asked why they were different, these early Christians testified that they followed a man named Jesus, who gave them something so wonderful that they would never consider an alternative. Until just recently, our laws Art, literature, music, and mores all bore the imprint of the foundation that these followers laid, a testimony to the powerful impact a community of believers can have upon society when they choose by faith to join God on mission. The bottom line is that we are created for community. We are designed to be in community with God and with each other. 
but we must also understand that community can never be fully realized apart from mission. As a biblical community, we're both a called and sent people of God. And so over the seven weeks, we have talked about what it means to be sent. The implications of Jesus' words, as a father has sent me, even so I am sending you. It involves a theological shift in our thinking about the church. We need to understand that God is a missionary God, that we are a missionary people, and that his mission is to redeem and restore humanity. And so the church has been created, has been established, has been ordained for that purpose. The church is not about us not about our programs, about our religious services. We do so in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who lives and resides within us. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is a spirit that lives within us and gives us a courage and boldness, not only to to both proclaim and enact the gospel. The gospel is a power of God unto salvation. And people need to hear that from our lips, but they also need to see it demonstrated in our lives. And so both are important. But we understand also that we're a community. And it's a group effort, a herd effort, a team effort. Together, as a people of God, we move out into our community demonstrating what life is like when people place their lives under the rule and reign of God. And so this morning, you are sent and I am sent. Every arena we find ourselves in this week, whether it be at our workplace, whether it be where we enjoy recreation with other people, whether it be our clubs, the organizations that we're involved in, We are a sent people, and God wants us as his missionary people to proclaim and enact, demonstrate the good news of the gospel, that as people respond in faith, their life comes under the rule and reign of our God, and our God does reign and will always reign and will reign forever and forever and forever through all eternity. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that if there needs to be some shift in our thinking regarding the church and our place in your mission, that you through your spirit would continue to bring about that change in thinking that is needed. And Father, I pray that as we begin to understand more fully what your mission is and as we embrace that mission, I pray that it would lead into a change of our actions. And so, Father, I pray for our church fellowship and our church life. I pray that together we would understand our sentness, that we would together collectively want to hear from you, to discern where you are already working so that we can join you in those places. Father, I pray that we'd be open to you taking us to people 
into places that we never imagined going to. And I pray that we'd not fear because of your spirit who resides within us. And so, Father, thank you for the privilege. Thank you for the opportunity, the honor to be partnered with you to carry out your great mission in this world, to redeem and restore humanity. May your love compel us. In the name of Christ, I pray. Thanks for joining us. We hope we were able to provide wisdom and insight in your faith journey. If you would like to connect with us, you are welcome to join our service every Sunday morning at 1030. For more information, you can find us at facebook.com slash tbcswanriver. And if you would like to find more episodes of our podcast, go to anchor.fm slash templebaptistchurch or search on your favorite podcast app.